one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I love that phrase, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase, forgetting what is behind. So we've been looking at uh, how to know the will of God. So here's a question. What happens if you feel way short of living in God's perfect will? Is anyone like, you know what, Jim, I I don't feel that way at all. I, I feel like I'm perfectly in line. Every single decision, every single moment of my life has been the perfect will of God. Well, Good for you. This is not for you then. Uh, what, if, what if you've messed up somewhere? What if you did not take perfect action with the right motives and the right heart, completely depending on God? What, what if that accidentally happened at, at some point in your life? Do you have to settle for some sort of secondhand Christianity? Maybe you feel like, man, I missed the freeway and now I'm on some backcountry road. I'll never get back onto God's main path for me. What happens then? <clears throat> Growing up, it was taught like this. There's the perfect will of God which was this tightrope, which was this, basically the standard of being perfect, which nobody could live, but it was held out to us. There's the perfect will of God, and then there is the permissive will of God that all of us losers had to be relegated down to the permissive will of God. Uh, interesting, we never find that phrase in the Bible. There's never like, hey, there's the perfect will, and there's, oh, you, you know, like the shuttle bus to Loserville over there. So if you're interested in we just read in Philippians 3, uh, 13 and 14, but if you were to read 1 through 12, Paul's telling, here's what my life was like before Christ. And he's like, man, I had, from a, from a human resume standpoint, he's like, I had it going pretty good. He said, I, I, he basically, he was struggling so hard to do it right. He was struggling so hard to please God. He basically worshiped his good works. He says, you know what, when I look at all the good that I had going on in my life, I counted it as great gain. So here's the word in the New Testament. <clears throat> it's a picture of a miser counting out his money. Like, that's how he saw his, re- his human resume, all the, all the good stuff he had going from all of his confidence before God was in his good works. Picture Scrooge McDuck with, with his piles of gold. Remember, he's just counting it every single night, drooling over it. Paul's like, that's how I was about my good works. I was so confident because he's like, hey, I'm an Israelite. I'm not like those dirty Gentiles. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. My parents speak Hebrew. I can read the Bible in the original languages. I'm a Pharisee. That's the strictest sect of all the Hebrews. He's like, man, look at me. I, I this pecking order that I've got going on. He's like, I'm so zealous for Judaism that it produced the stoning of Stephen. You guys remember that, the church's first martyr? Paul's standing there holding the coats of the people who are stoning them. So uh, it's interesting. Religion is always one breath away from murder. The first murder on this planet was a religious murder. Cain was jealous of Abel because Abel had the witness of the Holy Spirit. So here's Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee with a religion that's fueled by hatred, persecuting the church, and then he comes to Christ. So the glory of the living Jesus dawns upon him. And I love this phrase. It says, the love of God was shed abroad in his heart. So I think a lot of people are like, you know, someone took a glass of water and did that. No, but it's it's the picture of the Niagara Falls of God's love are shed abroad in his heart. He is completely overwhelmed and undone, and he never gets over it once he saw it. Paul realizes, listen, I am not accepted by these works that I've done, trying to please God with my human resume, with I got my devotions, I tithe, I fast. God's not impressed with any of that. And once he realized it, boy, it's because of what Jesus has done, it became good news to him. So he's been swept up. He's been pardoned. He's been declared righteous. He's been carried into God's family, and he's overwhelmed by this. So now he looks at all that he's done as a Pharisee, and here's how he sums it up about his past. But whatever I, what, uh, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, all that human resume, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. <clears throat> so he's saying all those good things I had that I was trusting in, he says they're like rubbish. 
Um, let me just put it this way. The, uh, the New Testament translators are being very kind when they use the word rubbish, okay? Uh, the word in the Greek there is animal manure, okay? And so Paul's like, when I look at all that I did before Christ, you know, those good works apart from Christ, it's like a hot, steamy pile in the middle of the street. They think that's very valuable to people, a hot, steamy pile. No, no, it's not valuable. He's saying all those wasted years. Do you think, Paul, it could have been easy for him to sit there and wallow in all of that? Wasting three decades of his life on worthless religion, persecuting the very Jesus that he's now serving. Like, like wouldn't it be tempting to just sit there and go, man, <laughs> I made some bad choices. I'm going to so go sit over here and feel horrible for myself and do some penance and, and all these type of things. The blood of Stephen's on his hands. What does he do? Here, here's his tremendous words, Philippians 3.13 again. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Wow, is remarkable. Paul's like, here's how I think about all those years. I forget about them. That word forget in the New Testament Greek is very strong. It means to never think about again, to act as if you had never done it at all. Well, this is interesting. Boy, the grace of God, we might need an upgrade in our views here, gang. How on earth could he do that? Because that's the very nature of salvation. This wasn't some mind trick where he's like, okay, I've got I've to think positive thoughts, and I'm thinking of myself in a new enlightened place. No, no, no. Um, it began with justification. God revealed them. Justification means you have been pardoned from your sin. You've been declared as if you've never sinned, and now God delights to treat you as if you're Jesus himself. Like That's what happens when God revealed his love. He's like, I've been swept up into the family. I've been pardoned. It's like I've never sinned before. I've, re- I've uh, restored with my unstained innocence. Hey, guys, are you hearing this? Because of all that salvation is purchased, Paul could dare to live in the fullness of God's pardon. He could put out of his mind all that belonged to his past. And so Paul says, anybody now can forget what lies behind and strain towards what is ahead. I love the, the Passion Translation in Philippians 3.13. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. So anybody could look at your, uh, your life in, in, in the past and recognize it's just a monument to grace. All of that hot mess that you did before Christ, or maybe even since coming to Christ, the mistakes you've made, it just becomes a monument to how good God is in your life. Man, I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future. Guys, there is some good news coming. Oh, my goodness. I hope you got your seatbelts on today. I, uh, my mom's here. Let's, let's thank my mom. Yes. Kind of feel like I owe her my life. And... Um, I just, I just, I basically, she's already heard this message in the car right over here. It's like, so just, there is such good news coming. I've already given you good news. It's about to go super saiyan for you uh, Dragon Ball Z fans. Okay, so, um, so the law, uh, so here's some good news. You have been delivered from the law, and you're now under grace. Okay, let me, let's just break that down a little bit. By the law, here's what I mean. The written laws, the Old Testament laws, are summarized in the Ten Commandments. And uh, here's the basics of the law. You ought, you must, you should. And that's the essence of religion is still putting you under law. You ought to do this. You must do this. You should do that. And it's all these rules that are coming from the outside, trying to get you to live holy from the outside in. Listen, guys, you and I have no quarrel with the law. The law is perfect. I mean, who's going to argue with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself? Nothing to argue with there. The problem with the law is we just can't keep it. The problem with the law is we stand cringing before it condemned because the law is perfect and we're not. And so you make a mistake, and you say, listen, I don't know what came over me. I blew up at this person. I messed up. Law, will you forgive me? Law, will you give me a second chance? And the law looks down and says, you've sinned. You've broken the law. There is no second chance. The soul who sins will die. 
Man, that, that's the law. But you say, listen, I'm going to try my best. The law says, I don't care about your best. I expect perfection. One notch below perfection it means you failed and there is no second chance. Guys, the law doesn't know what forgiveness is. And the tragedy is that millions of Christians have never understood that we've moved out of law into grace. So every week the preacher gets up there and beats them up and they uh, step in on their toes and they feel like that's good preaching. No, you're just under the law. They've never seen God's grace and so they live in quiet despair. Have you ever been in a church where somebody was really trying their hardest to live the Christian life and they fell flat on their face? Maybe it was a sin. Maybe it was a stupid mistake. Maybe it was a leader, someone you looked up to. Maybe it was you. And, uh, and then you said, listen, God, I was wrong. And you accepted forgiveness. But because of what you were taught, you asked God for forgiveness. Because of what you were taught, you still think that God's pleasure towards you is influenced by your behavior. Yeah, God accepts me by his grace. But, you know, to get on his good side is proportional to how good I behave. You're under law. That's a lie. That's religion. All that you've been told, uh, that you've been told that you were, uh, everything that you're feeling, everything you might have been, God's forgiven you, but yeah, you blew it, and you're never going to quite be the same again. You've missed God's perfect plan. You've stepped into the permissive plan. You're forgiven, yes, but you're going to have to live with plan B. When you get to heaven, you might have to wear a dunce cap for the first couple millennia. <laughs> you're never going to know God's perfect plan A. In some churches, it seems like they got this list of sins. Like, here's the sins you can kind of be forgiven of these, but there's these certain sins, you know what, you're kind of ruined for life. There's a stain on you for life that will follow you around, and uh, that is just kind of it. Uh, God forgave you, but as far as you knowing God's perfect will, you can just forget about it, all right? They see you, you're like that uh, bird that has a broken wing, and yes, the wing can heal, but you're never going to fly quite the same again, okay? Let's be honest. And the law makes sure you understand there is no second chance. There is no going best. You have failed God. You have failed the church. And if that's your background and what you've been taught, then you stand before the law wishing that you try harder and wishing that you've been more disciplined. How are we doing? But when I know what Christ has done, it tells me I've been delivered from the law. I've been delivered from condemnation. See, the purpose of the law was to show you the character of God like, he's perfect. Like, you can't argue with that justice and the beauty of the love of the law for God and for people. It's to show you the beauty of God, and you can't do it in your own strength. The purpose of the law was to drive you to hopeless despair. To say, I can't do anything. There, there's nothing I can do to get out of this. I can't be perfect. I can't do it. The standard's too high, and it's to push you towards Christ. So not only are you recognized, I'm a lost sinner, I'm a helpless son. There's nothing I can do on my own. See, the law demands, but grace empowers Grace doesn't excuse sin, it empowers righteousness. The Old Testament was about keeping the law. The New Testament, it's interesting, it's about following the Holy Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit will write the law in your hearts. What's that mean? Everything the law was after, you'll accomplish without any reference to the law. What's the law after? Loving God and loving people. And as I follow the Spirit and keep in step with Him, I'll do everything the law was after without trying to keep all the rules. And the amazing thing is grace tells me that God not only pardons my past uh, to the degree that I can forget it forever. Are you ready for this? Here's the rest of the message. But God also takes my worst mistakes and weaves them into his perfect plan. O-M-G. Do we have any organic gardeners in here? Any organic gardeners in here? Okay, I see a couple of you people. I see the dirt on your fingernails as you did that. Yeah, I, they're telling the truth. They're telling the truth. 
What's the heart of organic gardening is making your own soil, right? You get to have proper vegetables. You got to, like, I don't know about you. We have a kind of a newer neighborhood. And so you can see kind of the dirt that it's under. Mary and I take walks with the dog. It's all like a rock garden. I'm like, I'm like I don't know how any grass could even grow. Ours doesn't, but no. So, um, to, but to have proper vegetables, you got to start with the soil. So how do you make organic soil? You take everything in the kitchen that can rot, right? And you put it in a garbage can. And you, and, uh, and you take all the grass clippings that can rot, the leaves that can rot, you stick it in some pile, and you, uh, you, and you keep turning it. Right? What happens? There's this little bit of internal combustion. Right? So anything that's rotten, stinky, garbage, it goes in this pile. Interesting, that's actually the exact same recipe for organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free brownies. Although, <laughs> it's, it's basically compost, let's just be honest with it, right? So you get this compost heap. It's this pile of junk and garbage, and a little fire begins to burn inside. This little bit of combustion, it begins to steam, and you turn it over, and it starts again, and it turns it over. And by the time you, uh, you get to springtime, you've got this perfect, rich soil, right? It'll produce the most beautiful crops in the garden. You guys ready for this? God has his compost heap of, red heap of redemption. He takes all the junk of our lives, everything that's smelly and disgusting, all those things that we stand before him in shame and say, if only I had. But if we take his pardon and we receive those clean, his cleansing, he takes those very things, puts them in his compost heat by the fire of the Holy Spirit and makes them the very best soil of our lives. Come on, somebody. Have you noticed that in your own experience? Psalm 56, uh, many of the psalms are written from the pits of life, okay? And so this is where David, he's in captivity. It's, it's at a horrible point. He, he's writing this. He's, he's really having a bad time. Here's what David said in Psalm 56, 8. You've kept track of all my wandering and my weeping. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost, for they are all recorded in your book of remembrance. And the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Hebrew uh, word there for bottle is not just an ordinary bottle. It's a special winemaking bottle. He says, listen, you're taking the worst parts of my life, my tears, my sorrows, and you're putting it, and you're making it into the sweet wine of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. God doesn't just forgive. He actually takes your mistakes and weaves them in to become a part of the tapestry of his perfect plan for your life, and you would never know the difference. When you look at yourselves as living out a spiritually inferior plan, you're slandering the character of God. He's not that kind of God. And you begin to think, if only I hadn't done that. If only my son, if only my daughter, if only my parents were better. If only, listen, he's not the God if only he, if only he had. Rather, he's the one that says, I pardoned you. Wait till you see what I'm going to do next. That's God. Here's the foundation of understanding of God. God is love. God doesn't just have love. It's not an emotion that he has. His heart doesn't heat up when you uh, do your devotions and cool down when you're in sin. God is love. For God to stop loving you, he would have to stop being God. It's not an occasional characteristic. It's the way that he is. So the beginning of grace and rest is to know that God loves me unconditionally. What's that mean? He loves you regardless of your condition. Whether you're fasting and praying on your knees or whether you're picking out and <laughs> cussing. I don't, I'm trying to think of the opposite extreme. I can't think of it, all right? <laughs> the beginning of grace is to be able to say, God loves me. So, if I, so I'm not ever wondering, did I do enough today to earn God's love? Am I on God's good side? Is he mad at me? I'm feeling this distance and separation. You know what those are called? Feelings. And feelings are not the highest indicator of truth in your life. What God says in his word is the higher indicator of truth. And when there's a gap between your feelings and truth, you know what that's called? Faith. All right? 
Did I say something? Come on, Mama Dora. <laughs> Did I say something today where God's ticked off of me? Did I have some bad thoughts and now the Holy Spirit, has, the dove has, has floated away from my life? There he goes. And what do I have to do to get the dove back? Oh, you've been to those churches too. All right. So God's infinite love, eternal love towards you is because the way he is, not the way you are. Let's look at another dimension. God's love is omniscient. What's omniscient mean? It's one of those fancy pants words. It means all-knowing. Complete, perfect, total, infinite knowledge. Now, none of us can take that and you're like, okay, I understand that. No, 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 no. None of us understand that. Before you were born, before galaxies were created, before there was people or planets, God knew you completely. God knew everything you would ever do. He knew all that you were doing now. He, knew, uh, he knows everything you might have done but didn't. He knows everything you could do tomorrow but won't. God knew all that there was before the world. For every single person, multiply that across the entire, entirety of time, God knows. And knowing all that, he loved you. Which means there's nothing you can do to surprise God. God's like, oh, I'm so angry at them. How could they do this? He already knew it. He already knew it. And he says, I love you anyway. God never says, I'm sorry, you crossed the line, you're outside of my love. You cannot shock God with your behavior. He knew about it and loves you unconditionally. I love the story about Simon Peter. Simon Peter was one of uh, the 12 disciples, and uh, his name Simon means shifty. Like, how would you like to have your parents name you that? <laughs> like, hey, this is scammy here, you know, kind of watch out for scammy here. I mean, literally, his name means sinking sand, Okay. And so, uh, remember what Jesus said when he met him. He says, yeah, you're called Simon, but now you're going to be called Peter, which means solid rock. Oh, that's, a, that's an awesome upgrade. I'm going to change you from being shifty sand into solid rock. And you know what, Jesus, when he said that, he already knew Peter was not going to behave perfectly like solid rock. There was times he was going to be shifty sand. The night Jesus had betrayed, he, says, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, I will never deny you. And Mortis uh, Peter, he begins to blaspheme and curse a few hours later. I don't even know this guy, right? And um, it's interesting. When Peter's like, I would never do that, Jesus uh, said, Simon, Simon. It's the first time he'd called him Simon since he changed his name. He says, listen, there's going to be some of that old behavior. Then Jesus rises from the dead. The, the, uh, to the people who met him when he rose from the dead, he says, go tell my disciples and Peter. He's back to Peter again. He hadn't been acting like Peter, but, that, but listen, guys, at your workest, worst, darkest moment, that love is still there. Another aspect of God, oh, this is good. It's not going to sound good at first. It is so good. Another aspect of God and his love is he is all wise, okay? God has a plan for your life. And he has an infinite variety. He has trillions of ways to bring about that plan in your life, no matter how bad you screw it up. If you can see this, there's a new era of rest that's going to come into your life. See, guys, as humans, we've got limited wisdom. God has unlimited wisdom for every single situation and contingency plan you could ever do in your life before you're ever born. See, in life, we come up with our little plan. I got this plan. I got this life plan. I read this book. I got this life plan. I got a life coach, and we're going along. I got this one little plan, and when I blow it, it's like, ah, I don't know what to do now. God doesn't have one little plan. He's got one plan in a million ways to get you there. Infinite ways to achieve his plan and purpose in your life. How God can weave it all together is beyond me. I don't know, but that's why he's God. 
He can take my mistakes. He can take my sin that he's pardoned and bring it all together for his glory in a way that I couldn't even begin to work out. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, what an what awesome phrase, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You ready for this? The manifold wisdom of God is being made known in our lives so that angels and demons are educated in the character of God. God's using all these trillions of options at his hand in his perfect wisdom to show all the angels and demons and mankind, this is what I'm like. Manifold wisdom. Listen to how the Amplified Classic puts that, 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 um, that sentence. The many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects. Here's what the, that all-loving God who loved you, knowing all the screw-up mistakes you were going to do, he says, you know what I've got at my disposal? I've got this many-sided wisdom with infinite variety and innumerable ways to bring about my plan in your little life. You can rest in that. Legalism says, hey, when you make a mistake, that's it. You will never fly the same way again. You'll never, you're on a country road. You'll never be back on the main highway. And God says, oh, no, you should see my plan. You may have blown it, but I'm going to take that and weave it into my plan. I've got manifold wisdom. I think a lot of churches, they make you repeat. Somebody say manifold wisdom. <laughs> I just thought I'd try it. We never do it around here. It wasn't as great as I thought. But anyway. So this week on uh, social media, how many of you guys just know because you're a preacher on social media, it doesn't mean you actually have something good to say, right? And so I, I saw this young, passionate leader, and he's on stage, and he's rocking back and forth, and he's sweating, and his face is cringing, and he says, if you've got the guts, pray this prayer with me. Only if you've got the guts, you know, and the young people, they're leaning forward, and they're cheering. And here's the prayer he said. I, I wrote it down. Um, God, if I don't use my gifts and talents for you 100%, then take them away from me. Oh, you guys would probably actually know who this leader is. You know what that is? That's legalism mixed with stupidity. Here's Romans eleven twenty nine 29 from the Bible, not from emotions. You ready for this? For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those whom he has given his grace or to whom he sends his call. So you can pray that stupid prayer. He ain't listening. Talk to the invisible hand. <laughs> See, when I fail, I think I miss the best. See, it's like if I fail this test, I don't get an A. Well, how can I ever be given a 4.0 in God's plan? Mm-mm. Manifold wisdom. God says, that's not my way. God doesn't have bad plans for you. I know the plans for you, says the Lord. Some of them are good. Some of them are okay. Even there's this per- No, no. He said, they're all to prosper you and not to harm you. If you fail here, God says, we'll start again. Wait till you see how I'm going to work this out. My, my wisdom is many-sided, infinite in variety, and has innumerable aspects. That's God. God takes my worst and incorporates it into his best. If you get nothing else, man, just take that phrase. God takes my worst and incorporates it into his best and has a trillion ways of accomplishing that plan. Let me give an illustration here. Let's say I'm flying from Los Angeles back to uh, let's say I'm flying, flying from Los Angeles back to Columbus. Let's pretend and I got a layover in Chicago, which is the worst airport. And so, um, so I'm in Chicago, and I'm like, you know what? My ticket says Columbus. I know what time it is, and so uh, I've got a little bit of time, and so I go and get a massage at the airports, which are like like a beating. You know, sometimes I don't know if you ever got one of those massages. I got one, and it was like a spider monkey on a flagpole. Man, this person was all around me, and they're doing all this stuff, and I'm drinking. 
let's say I get the massage, and I'm like, I got a little bit more time, and so I go, and I'm in the food court, and I'm just kind of lollygagging around, and I make a stupid mistake, and I, uh, I rush, I realize, oh my goodness, I waited too long, and I rush to the gate, the plane's already taken off. And so you, uh, this is a hypothetical situation, you don't need to feel bad. <laughs> I love you guys, you're so, <laughs> oh, no, this didn't happen, all right? Now imagine I miss my plane and I go back to the food court and I cry like a baby. I've missed my connection. I've made a mistake. I was so stupid. Now I have to spend the rest of my life in Chicago airport. (laughs) I'll never make it home to Columbus to marry. I'll never get to see my kids and daughter-in-laws again. (laughs) And future grandchildren. Of course not. Like, like, like that's, that's ridiculous thinking, right? The airline has many, many planes to get to Columbus. And each one is as good as the other. In fact, the snacks and drink, they're the same on all the planes. The only difference is I'll be sitting next to someone that I wouldn't have been sitting next to in the first plane. So there'll be a little bit of difference, but I'll get to Columbus just the same. I'll get there with the same service. Everything will be the same because there's many different ways to get to Columbus. Listen, guys, God's given you a ticket. He has shown you his eternal purpose he has for you in Christ. And as we're going along this road of life, we're going to miss some connections. We are going to blow it. We might fall into sin. We might make stupid mistakes. We might not take massive action. It might be a missed opportunity. Legalism says, sit in the food court and cry because there's no way you're going to achieve God's purpose. There's no second chance. Learn to live with regrets, right? But God has this manifold, many-sided, infinite variety and innumerable aspects of his wisdom. So when you blow it, he's already got another way to get you there. He immediately puts you up. Yes. He immediately puts you on another plane, which is just as perfect. I'm hoping this is good news to somebody in here. Bible gives us lots of examples of this. Abraham, father of the faith. Sometimes we read scripture with these rose-tinted glasses. It's like Abraham, father Abraham. He's got a whole song after him. My goodness, how awesome is this guy, right? And so um, remember, this is the guy that looked at his wife and says, uh, Sarah, you are a babe. And um, if any man wants you, he can have you because I'm not going to die for you. So let's make up a lie that you're my sister, okay? Like, I wouldn't let that guy be a deacon at a church. (laughs) But you know what? God wove it in. He's the father of our faith. Why does God put people like that in Scripture? Not to shame them because it's the only kind of people he has. Like, like, I love this quote from Andrew Womack. Uh, I'll try to do it in his voice. God has a day I can't do it. Right? <laughs> you know what? I accidentally did Andrew's voice in front of Andrew. And I was like, I don't know if we're close enough for that. So, you know, he might be watching this. So I was like, yeah. God hasn't had anybody working for him, qualified working for him yet. And you and I won't be the first. That was my, that was my invitation there. Right. I can't do voices very good. Unfortunately, yeah, all my voices sound the same, whether it's Hitler or my mother-in-law. I'm like, I, I got to get better at this. So, God hasn't had anybody qualified working for him yet, and you and I ain't going to be the first. Look at King David. He's about 50 years old, having a midlife crisis. Uh, he had already been used by the Holy Spirit to write about half the Psalms at this point in his life, the inspired word of God, okay? Now, everybody is out in the front lines uh, uh, in, in battle, and David says, I'm going to stay back, and he chooses to have an affair with his next-door neighbor, with his next-door neighbor's wife. That would be bad enough, but it was with his best friend, Uriah. Now, Uriah and him had been best buddies since they were 17 years old. Uriah is the one who, when they're throwing, uh, they got um, spears coming at him, he's standing in front and saying, I'll die for you, David. 
This is Uriah, okay? So Uriah, he uh, became one of David's mighty men, one of the three mighty men, one of the palace guards. That's why he's got a house on Mount Zion right next to David. This is his best lifelong pal. Uriah goes out to war, and David goes to uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. A few weeks later, the notes delivered from Bathsheba to David were having a baby. And David is struck to the heart. Now, guys, you have to see, under the law, there was no forgiveness for adultery and no forgiveness for um, murder. Okay? You could offer sacrifices for the other stuff. You couldn't. There, there was no hope. Okay? And, and so, um, so both those cases, no sacrifice. You're taken outside the city and stoned to death. So David, he's preached these laws. He's enforced these laws. He knows these laws. There's no hope, right? So David, he's got this evil plan. He brings Uriah back from the war, and he's like, hey, maybe if I let him sleep inside with his wife, she'll think that it's her, their baby, right? Like, so maybe but Uriah is too honorable, and he sleeps outside the palace and says, I'm not going to go have sex with my wife while my men are fighting. Sleeps inside the palace. He's too honorable of a man. So David, uh, David's plan gets a little darker. I mean, you can imagine his lips are dry. There's a cold sweat running down his back. He's got to do something. And so uh, he looks at his best friend while he writes this note and says, hey, take this note to the commander of the army's Joab. Joab reads the note and it says, the bearer of this note is to die. I want you to put him out in the front lines, pull back the battle, and make sure he dies, and he does. So David's now become uh, guilty of adultery and arranging a murder. This is the man who was inspired, to write half, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write half of the Psalms, right? And so he goes through this week of phony mourning, uh, pretending he's sad. Then he marries Bathsheba. The child is born, and then Nathan the prophet comes to David, and he says, uh, hey, there's a story about this man who um, had lots of sheep, and uh, he takes this one little baby lamb, and, and, uh, and David's like, you know, we got to get this guy. And Nathan's like, you're the guy. You're the guy. Here's the thing about David. Whenever God touched him, he broke so he comes before God. He knows under the law there is no forgiveness. And so he throws himself at the grace of God. He says, God, have mercy on me. If he, uh, mercy on me. He says, I know that you're not desiring uh, sacrifice. He's like, there is no sacrifice. I, I recognize I can't have a sacrifice for this one. I'd give it to you, but there's no offering for murder and adultery. I can't go through the law. So he prays in Psalm 51, wash me, O God, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. You know what? God did. The child died, but another one was later born with Bathsheba. So what does the legalist say? This new baby was born out of an unholy union. It started off in adultery. This baby has a generational curse upon it. Uh, we can shun this one off to the corner. And so uh, David and Bathsheba, you know what they named their new child? Solomon. And so they're sitting there one night. Nathan the prophet comes back, and he says, you've named this child uh, Solomon. God wants to give him a nickname. God's going to call him Jedidiah. You know what Jedidiah means? One that is unusually loved by God. Religion said this child was conceived in sin. God looks at it and says, this one's unusually loved. Wow. Guys, they had sinned. It's over. The law was right. But David came and received cleansing and a new heart. And God said, I, not only am I working out my plan within your mistakes, but this boy is unusually loved by me. The world calls him Solomon. I'm going to call him Jedediah. God picks up our worst mistakes and weaves, weaves them into his plan. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's given this genealogy, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. He's given the, the lineage of who, who Christ came through. starts with Abraham. When he gets to David, um, uh, it's interesting. David had, an, like, David had a lot of wives. He had enough sons to fill this entire auditorium. He really did, okay? David took seriously the be fruitful and multiply clause in, in, in Genesis. He's like, that's my scripture. So of all the sons that, uh, that God could have chose for Jesus to come through, you know who had him come through? 
Solomon. And there in Matthew, it doesn't just say Solomon. That would be a marvelous grace by itself. But Matthew 1.6, look at what it says. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Why bring all that up? That's the worst sin in the Old Testament. It's the worst mistake in the entire Old Testament. And when David repented, God took it and put it in his compost heap and made it to the richest soil of the Old Testament. That through that sinful mistake, there came one who should bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it sinking in? Are you starting to just get in awe of the grace of God? What about those that aren't sinful mistakes? They're just stupid mistakes, silly mistakes, maybe mistakes that other people made. Uh, listen, um, Paul, man, he appeared to be a little bit of a harsh guy, Paul who wrote the New Testament. Um, when John Mark left him, John Mark came back, he deserted him in uh, Cyprus. Uh, John Mark kind of chickened out, got a little scared, deserted him. He comes back to Paul and says, hey, can I come along to the journey? Paul's like, no, get lost, get out of here. You, don't desert, you desert us, you don't deserve to go. So you can imagine Paul, John, Mark. Imagine being uh, rejected by the Apostle Paul himself. Like the Apostle of Grace is not giving you grace. Like that's a bad day. Okay? And so you can imagine he's dejected. He goes off. And what happens? He finds Peter. Peter understands what it's like to blow it. Peter understands what it's like to mess up. And so Peter takes him under his wing and he begins to travel with Peter. And uh, as they travel, John Mark begins to write down all of Peter's sermons. And one day he puts it together in a book. And they call that book the Gospel of Mark. If it wasn't for Paul being mean to John Mark, probably not God's will, but God's like, oh, I got a trillion plans. I'm going to take this John Mark and weave it right into here. We got the gospel of Mark. He becomes a great minister in Egypt, founds an amazing church in Alexandria. How? The manifold wisdom of God with its many-sided, infinite varieties and innumerable aspects. Listen, guys, if Paul had accepted John Mark, we might not have had the gospel of Mark. God works in mysterious ways. There's no if-onlys, only you can't believe what I'm about to do next. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, we named our middle son after Wesley. He's a great man. In his private journals, not, not necessarily the public journals, but when you read his, his private journals that he uh, has, he talks about what kind of wife he had. She was an absolute terror. She was physically abusive to him. Uh, she would stand at the back of his meetings and shout out, don't believe a word he says. Now listen, like, like uh, you know... <laughs> I would not be able to take that if my wife did that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like if she's like, you know, on the way home, if she's like, it was a little long. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never preaching again. You know, it's like, let alone like, don't believe a word he says. She gave material to Wesley's enemies and uh, with which to slander him. She's just giving them dirt on him. I mean, he's like, she's this horrible person. Okay, this is, I'm going to tie this in a little weird way. And so um, there's every reason to believe that there would not have been a great revival that turned Europe inside out and upside down if John Wesley's wife had been a kind and gentle soul. He went out and preached to the ends of the earth to get away from the nagging woman at home. <laughs> he did. He stated in his journals he left home to preach just to get away from her. Is that God's will for her to be a horrible wife? No. But he's got this manifold, multifaceted, innumerable ways of wisdom. And he wove it right in there and turned the world upside down. The only thing you can do that can stop you from receiving the love and manifold wisdom of God in your life is to refuse to take it. In Galatians, Paul calls this frustrating the grace of God. Today, you might feel like you're in despair. Maybe you feel like written across your life is, if only. If only I hadn't. If only I had. 
and you beg the law to give you a second chance, but you feel you've been demoted, I encourage you to uh, look at the grace of God. There is no if only. Accept that grace. Do not frustrate it. You're not doomed to live a second-class life. God is turning that compost of stinking garbage mess into rich soil. What others meant for evil, God is turning to good. Forget all of the past as you fasten your heart to the future instead. Listen, guys, if you made a mistake, face your mistake. Whether it's a stupid mistake or a sinful mistake, face it head on. But as you look that mistake eyeball to eyeball, look past it to the cross of Christ. Receive that grace. And God's going to pick it up, weave it together, and make it a celebration of his grace. Don't sit in the airport. You're not doomed to live in Chicago. If your ticket says Columbus, God will have you in Columbus just by another plan. That's it. Amen. Okay, I, um, I just have one, one side thing to add on. Can I do that? Okay, here's like one funny bonus thing is Andrew Womack, when Jim in, imitated his voice in front of him, oh, Lord, I he was this. sitting on the front row with uh, Jamie, his wife, and I heard Andrew turn to Jamie and say, I don't sound like that. And Jamie said, no, you don't sound like that. It was really cute. <laughs> Um, one thing that I it's heard... It's too painful. It's too painful. Should have never done it. You know what? It's just not your gift. It's not my gift, yeah. It's just not. He's not good at voices like that. Mm-mm. We all have our gifts and our strengths and weaknesses. I know. It's not no. mine. It's, yeah. I'd be too prideful, probably. You probably would. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so during worship, um, you know, we were singing all those songs about Jesus and those powerful words just about what Jesus did for us. You guys remember the beginning of this day? Everybody remember? Okay, go back with me for one second. And, um, and, I, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, not only can, can you trust God, but he's actually worthy to be trusted. And that just kept ringing in my spirit during worship, that he's worthy to be trusted. And um, if, if today you're kind of feeling like, I know I can trust God and you know, you're believing maybe for answers to come for you, and you're, you're maybe praying for something specific. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask you to stand, everybody actually just stand right now, because I saw something in the spirit just as Jim was closing. When I was looking at this picture behind us on the clouds, I, I saw you guys um, praying, praying um, your future into your present. And so sometimes, you know, we keep saying, God's going to answer it. God's going to answer it. But we want to today bring God into the now because Jesus already died on the cross. We're not waiting for him to die again. We can already trust him because he's worthy to be trusted. He's already shown us that. And so I just want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to start thinking about those things that you're asking the Lord for. It could be multiple things. It could be just one thing. And if you don't know what anything is, then maybe you should ask the Holy Spirit what you should be praying for. But um, so I just want to right now, I just want you to um, just start releasing from your mouth just any kind of prayer that you want. But something that says, 
God, I, I receive your answers, and we right now, we just bring that, those future things into the present. God, that we, we believe that you are trustworthy. You are worthy to be trusted today. And so those things that we've been praying for, those things that, that we see the answer far off in the distance God, that you want to bring those answers in today. And I saw on the, the clouds, I saw um, almost like the birds or something, and they all had different answers that they were flying in as you guys just open your mouth. And so as we know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so many times we bring uh, our past back into our, our present and our future. And we need to stop doing that. It's over right? And so we're going to bring right now our future into our present. And so right now, Jesus, we partner with you. We partner with you. We partner with everything that you've done on the cross. We partner with every answer that is in that spirit realm waiting to drop on us right now. And um, God, we just call it forth in the name of Jesus. Every every door that needs to be opened, every um, relationship that needs to be resolved, every sickness that needs to be healed, we declare that today is the day that those answers come and the manifestation of your very presence comes right now in the name of Jesus. And, um, and this morning, um, I, I also heard, well, first of all, amen. Amen. <laughs> um, this morning, Tori uh, opened up with this verse, but I had seen, or I heard the Lord praying Psalm 23 over people today, over you guys today. So I just want to read that real quick, and then we're going to have another guest of honor come up, which I'm very excited about. So this is Psalm 23 in the New Living Translation, so it might sound a little bit different than how you memorized it when you were a child. So you can close your eyes and receive this, but just know that God is, he is quoting this verse over you, these verses over you today. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Um, yeah. I'll hold it. I'll just hold it. And Lord, we just thank you that there's no plan B. There's no alternate plan. And so uh, I just ask you guys right now, just Lord, we just surrender uh, all of the guilt, all the shame, all the energy, all the trust in our good deeds. Uh, the, the shame from our mistakes, and we just say, Lord, we can't wait to see what you're going to do next. We recognize your manifold wisdom, your trillions of ways to weave it back in and uh, take this mess and turn it into something beautiful. Lord, we receive that. We, uh, we just receive that grace and just let that, uh, that other stuff just roll off of us, and we say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
we could just sit for just, just a few minutes. We've got a special missionary friend. Uh, she's uh, one of our very own, and she's home for a little bit, so she's going to update us, and uh, I can't wait to hear what she's going to say. So where, where'd she go? Oh, there she Okay, you were sitting behind Emily. I didn't see it there. Uh, let's welcome the lovely Emily Schindeldecker. Hi, everyone. It's uh, just a really, it's a huge honor to be here um, today. So thank you for having me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for being my family from far away. Um, you might not know me. Uh, if you're newer here, I've been coming to Zion for I don't know how many years, 12 years or something. Um, and I'm just so grateful for all of you. Um, but my name is Emily, and I live in the Middle East. Um, I'm not going to share exactly where I live. Um, because of live stream and all that and because of security so um, but I live in one of these countries and um, and I, I can tell you later if you come up to me but uh, I'm gonna just give you a little update about uh, what God has been doing in the Middle East and what I've been doing and then um, some changes that have happened recently which are really exciting um, so uh, yeah you can go to the next slide so um, like I said, this is the Middle East. I think some of you probably, when you think of the Middle East, you might think of desert and dryness, but um, this is actually the city where I lived in for the last four and a half years. I've been overseas for five and a half years, um, but um, I was in one country first studying Arabic, and then now, um, and then I spent four and a half years in this city. It was in between um, two mountain ranges. Um, so you can see mountains, you can see a little bit of green, um, and then that is actually my new home, which I will talk about in a little bit. Um, and again, not desert, but we do have palm trees, so that's really nice. So there's just a little picture of what like the Middle East can look like. Um, you can go to the next slide. Uh, so the last four and a half years, I've been working in refugee and IDP camps. IDP means internally displaced people. Um, it would be like somebody um, who has to move, but within the country. So. Like, if, it, if something happened to us in Ohio and we'd have to, like, move to Wisconsin, we would be internally displaced. We're still within America. So I work with people who were persecuted by ISIS and also um, uh, who have fled several wars in that region. So um, this is one of the refugee camps uh, that I worked in. And you can see they have, they have schools there, they have playgrounds, but they're still in tents. And it's been, some of them, nine years, some of them since 2011, so that would be like 12 years. Um, it's been a very long time to be intense. So um, that's where I've been working in, in nine different uh, camps in, around my city that I showed you before. Um, you can go to the next slide now. So I've been working uh, with mostly children with disabilities. Um, a disability is a huge stigma over there. They think, just like in the Bible, they think like, oh, the parents sinned or did something. and. Um, so a lot of the kids are just kept in their tents. They're not able to go out at all. I've shared about that before. Um, but we have been, we do um, home visits, and we've been working with people uh, and the families and the communities um, to just instill value back into them and do physical therapy and help them. So this girl on the right, when we first started working with her, her name means mercy, by the way. And um, when uh, we first started working with her, she was only laying on the ground. She wasn't even able to sit up. And um, we started working with her, and we would read Psalm 139 over her, you know, that she is, like, beautifully and wonderfully made. And um, 
right now she can walk on her own with the walker. Yeah, and, um, and she talks about, she's like, I have hope now, cause, and she's learned how to um, actually learn some English words she's and letters, she's learned Arabic um, because of the value that we've given her because of, you know, just sharing the good news with her. Um, she's still not in the kingdom, but we're, we're, we'll see. Um, and then over here, this was like during COVID, we did distributions and things like that for, for um, families that couldn't work. You know, when, when the whole world was on lockdown, they were too intense, but you couldn't leave. And so they could not work and there's no, they don't have computers. There's no, you know, they have no way to working online. So um, many people didn't have food or hygiene products. So we, we did that because, you know, Jesus helped people practically. He shared the good news. He preached, but he also helped and he healed and he also helped. So um, he fed them. So uh, we do that too, and while sharing the good news. So that's just another picture of that. Um, another project that I've been working on, and I shared this before last year, um, was teaching teaching uh, new moms and their mother-in-laws how to swaddle in a way that the babies don't um, uh, have hip dysplasia or hip dislocation. And um, because the way they, they swaddle babies, they wrap the babies, um, there's actually a high rate of, of that uh, for especially young girls. And so I've been uh, meeting with, doing these trainings for moms and then meeting them in their homes and doing trainings. And I shared about this story last year about... Um, uh, this one mom like invited all of her neighbors to come listen uh, to what I was sharing. So that's been a really fun project. We actually did an entire camp of like, I think it was 25,000 people. We like knocked on every door and uh, invited all the moms in. So that was really fun. Um, so yeah, you can keep going. And then um, one of the things that we really try and do is like the scripture is living and active. So we really want to um, get people into the Bible, get in, people into scripture, because it speaks for itself. And one way to do that is through stories. You know, like Jesus is a storyteller. He was the ultimate storyteller. And that's how we remember things is through stories. You know, we remember what Jim says because of the stories he shares. And so that's what we do. That's one of the many ways that we try and share the good news is through um, stories. So like one way we can do that is like if you're talking to a friend and you're like, oh, you know what? What you're saying reminds me, have you ever heard this story about, um, you know, there's this man named Jesus, and he, he saw this really short guy that, um, that had climbed this tree, and he was really ashamed for, for being so short, but he really wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus went up to him and said, I'm coming to your house today, uh, you know, things like that. Like, we just share stories, like when somebody's like, oh, no, I'm too short, or I'm this or that. It's like, oh, that reminds me of a story. And that's a way that we really, um, really share, because that's the way Jesus did it, too. And that's what people remember. And then we encourage people to tell that story to somebody else. So um, a lot of times, so we would sit with people in the camps, and we would um, share scripture, share stories, pray with them, pray for healing. We've seen healings. We've seen all that, too. And then we, and then we ask them, well, who will you share the story with this week? And these are people who are not in the kingdom, but they can, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to tell my sister or I'm going to call my cousin or something about a story from scripture. So they're actually spreading the good news even without being in the kingdom yet. They're ch telling stories. So one, one time we were, uh, we shared, we read the story of um, the woman at the well in John 4 and the woman, uh, this one girl who's, well, she's like uh, 18, 19 and her father was killed and 
Um, so, and her mom, they're very poor and living in a tent and had to escape ISIS. And, and, um, and she was just really struck by the story of the woman at the well. And she was like, would, do you think if Jesus was here today, he would talk to me the same way that he talked to that woman? And, and we were like, yes. And she's like, I wish he would just come to me in my dreams. And I was like, he can. And, um, and then like the next week she shared, she was like, yeah, I was making cookies with all my neighbors for the big holiday they were coming. And she's like, and I shared that story with everybody about the, about Jesus, you know, and that's the way that we get to people's hearts too. And it's just, it's really beautiful. So this is just um, some of my friends. So this is in a Syrian camp over here on the left. And then this is in a Yazidi camp, which is like um, the people group that ISIS tried to commit genocide against. Um, so you can keep going. Another um, way that the Lord really works in the Middle East, it's, it's really interesting. Um, it, he appears to them as a man in white um, in dreams, mostly, sometimes in visions. I don't know if any of you have heard about that. But sometimes it, it's um, in Egypt, actually, several years ago. It was so common that people were having dreams of men in white that they actually put that um, people, Christians put it in the newspapers uh, as an ad. Like, if you've had a dream of a man in white, come talk to, like, call this number. Because Jesus does that. Like, Jesus doesn't necessarily need us, but he uses us. And he appears to these people. And it's just, it's just really wonderful to do life with him because he's already preparing hearts by coming to them, by, by um, yeah, just appearing to them. So, We've had, uh, I've had several people come up to me and be like, I had this dream, I had this dream. And it's like, that's amazing, I want that dream too. But um, yeah, it just really, and, and it really just sets the stage for you to be able to share the good news. So really partnering with Jesus is just the best way to, to share his good news because he is the good news. So this is just um, an unfinished huge mosque. This is an example of a mosque. And um, where I am, we have lots of sandstorms. Uh, actually moved to a place where we have more sandstorms. So that is actually not a filter. That is like the color of of uh, the sky sometimes. And it's just gross. People are wearing masks not because of COVID, but because of the dust. But yeah, you can keep going. So uh, another, I wanted to share a little bit about um, another, about how Jesus appeared to people and answers prayer. But some of you probably have heard there was this huge earthquake several months ago in, in Turkey and Syria. Um, I was far away from that, but it actually woke me up in the middle of the night, um, and I remember, like, my closet door was shaking, and I was like, what is going on? I woke up, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, no, it's an earthquake, and, um, and I grew up in Turkey, actually, so I grew up with actually quite a few earthquakes, and um, so I'm, like, stumbling to the, to the um, door frame to, like, get under the door frame, and and I remember thinking, oh, no, we're, I'm not on a fault line. So wherever this earthquake is, it's going to be bad. So I just immediately started praying. And it was bad. I mean, they stopped counting after 50,000 deaths. They stopped counting. But people think it's probably over 100,000. Um, and a lot of people are traumatized and all that. But I remember, like, that week, as people were just trying to rescue those who were surviving, just um, just kept praying, like, Lord, just meet them under that rubble. Meet them under that rubble. And right now we're actually hearing stories of um, people having, Jesus would go to them under, they're trapped under the rubble and bringing them food and water. And um, he is so good. He is so good that he, like, before they're rescued, he's appearing to them. Like, he does that. Even in the worst disasters, he is so kind. And he doesn't, he does it himself, you know. He doesn't use, he uses us, but he doesn't always 
leave us, you know, and it's just really beautiful. So, but if you can think about it, pray for Turkey and Syria. There are a lot of traumatized people there and a lot of help is still needed. Um, so uh, I'm just going to share a little bit about what I'm doing now. So I was, I told you, four and a half years, uh, I've been working in um, refugee and IDP camps. And um, so, like, there's another example of that on the left. And last year, our team, um, we really prayed about where God wanted to lead us because all of a sudden our area was being inundated with more workers, we call them, um, more uh, missionaries. And we were like, this is amazing. But... Um, we thought, well, we have the opportunity to maybe go somewhere else where many people aren't. And um, because of our NGO, our non-governmental organization, a way to we get our visas. So our visa opened up to be able to go to another country. And we thought, well, there are not very many people there. So uh, we, our, my team, I had a huge team, and we all prayed about where God wanted to send us. And um, most of my team actually moved to a different city where there has not been a missionary since the 50s, and they're the first people there. Um, as I was praying, I um, felt the Lord call me to a different city a different, in a different country. And um, so I did. I moved um, in April and uh, became a team leader. And so I'm recruiting a team, and it was really hard because it's like I had to leave my team, which has been, you know, my family over there for a long time. And um, but now I feel like the Lord is really just stirring up a huge calling for this new city, and it's a city of nine million people, um, and there are um, eleven of us in the whole city. So if you can imagine, like when I, where I was living before, when I first moved there, there were not very many of us um, for a city of about 300,000. Now there are over 200 missionaries there. And now I moved to a city where there are 9 million people and there are 11 of us. Um, so, um, but God used 11 men so and people, so that's all right. Um, so just as an update, we just felt like it was time to spread the light. Um, so I did move, so that's a big thing. You can keep going. Um, and I really feel like, so this is my new city. Um, and uh, it's huge, and I love it because I, I grew up in a big city, so I love it. But um, I really felt like the Lord had said to raise up a canopy of prayer over that because it is um, a major city in this country, and um, I think it's very key to, to have a prayer room there, a prayer house there. It really changes the rest of, of the country, and the country really needs that, and nobody's doing prayer there. So um, I've, I had this vision of the Lord, like, uh, during worship last year, um, at some point I had him just like lighting fires throughout this country of like prayer houses throughout the country. I really felt like I'm just going to start in this city. It's a main city. So, um, that's what I'll be doing. Um, starting a prayer room and prayer house there as well as doing, um, medical work too. I'm a nurse practitioner, so we can keep going. So, um, yeah, so uh, like I shared, like that's some of my team on the left, um, where they moved. To, and then on the right, um, that's where I moved to. Um, and like I said, it's a new city, a new role. I'm a team leader now, and I do have to dialect switch again. So Arabic, but in a third dialect now. So it's a lot of new things. You can keep going. And then, like I said, there's my new home, and I have new neighbors. Um, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. Wait. Oh, you can go back to the other slide. Yeah, so... Huh. I'm missing a slide. Okay, so um, 
Yeah, so out of the 11 workers, uh, 11 missionaries there, we are we come from all different backgrounds, and, and we um, meet every other week to, like, do a Bible study together and encourage one another. And it just really feels like the early church to, like, do something together in a small a small living room and, and keep going. And the fact that we come from, like, six different backgrounds and nationalities and we speak Arabic as, like, our common language because the, nobody else speaks the same. You know, that's our only common language. It's just really fun to do to do life together with people from all different backgrounds and nationalities. Um, so, yeah, so that's um, what I'll be doing. So I'll be starting um, doing health work in this new city, um, uh, probably doing education for people and then getting into homes that way and then also um, starting prayer room and um, we'll see at this point given just the culture and security situation it is impossible to start a prayer room there but we serve a God who is possible of the God of impossible so I'm excited to see what he's going to do and um, like I said this is a picture from my roof but you can go to the next one so um that is in my new city. It's a very famous river, um, so some of you might be able to guess it. It's in the Bible. But um, so uh, I live in a very biblical place. Um, so, yeah, these are some prayer requests for uh, spreading the gospel. Of course, we, I mean, my city is very unreached. Um, and, uh, and then encouragement for local believers. There's been some security situations, and so just really pray for them. Um, you can pray for... Me, as I settle in, I, the way they do it in this new place is you have to even order kitchen cupboards and cabinets and countertops and sink and everything. You have to order it all, even if you're renting. And then you take it with you if you move, which I don't think makes very much sense. So I, I had, like, no kitchen sink for weeks. Um, and then when I did order the kitchen sink, I didn't know that I had to order a faucet with it. So... <laughs> When it finally came, I was like, yes, it was like, wait, where's the faucet? So I had to look on YouTube and install a faucet myself. So, um, yes, it's very, it's a fun adventure if you ever move overseas. Um, but, yeah, so settling in, you know, I'm still, like, getting settled. But also, um, you can also pray for new teammates, teammates to join me. I have two people who are really, really praying about coming. Um, so pray just for the right people. And then... Um, and then just security and wisdom, like I said, where I am, um, the, it's it's a little bit less safe than where I used to be. Um, and so, yeah, just pray for wisdom as I, uh, I do my day-to-day. I I do feel, I feel safe personally, um, and I know that the Lord will uh, lead in wisdom. So, but you can also pray for that. And then uh, my neighbors, this city, uh, there's been a lot of stuff happening there in the last several years. Um, and so then people are very suspicious of one another, let alone a foreigner. And um, so you usually don't actually get invited into homes. Most of the time in the Middle East, they're very hospitable. They'll just, you, you meet them for the first time, they'll invite you over for a week to stay with them. They'll feed you everything and, and do everything. Um, but uh, in this city, because of everything that's kind of happened, um, they're still very suspicious of one another. Um, so I heard that it's really hard to get into homes and, and meet neighbors and things like that. But um, it was really fun. Like two days before I left, I actually had tea with my one neighbor next door to me, and we we chat on WhatsApp, and um, it's been really fun. Like I, we're gonna be really good friends, and and like other people in the city, they haven't been invited in for years, and and it took me like two weeks. So that was a huge grace of the Lord. So, um, but you can pray for that 
for the neighbor's situation and just to like really get to know people that way. Um, and then as I start a medical project there, and then um, yeah, I've been tra I'll be traveling around in the states a little bit, so you can pray for that. But yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for supporting me, for praying for me. Um, if you want to hear more, uh, and like I'll be able to share and show more specific pictures, on um, this Thursday, June 22nd at 6.30, I'll be doing more sharing um, here uh, at Zion um, at 6.30. Um, and so I'll be able to share more and tell you exactly where I live and all that. And it will not be live streamed. Um, so you're welcome to come, but let me know. There's, there's going to be a sign-up just so we have kind of a head count out on the table out there. So um, you're welcome to come this Thursday at 6.30. And then if you, would, if you don't get my newsletters, I try and send them out every six weeks. It usually turns into every eight. Um, but if you want to get signed up for that, um, there will be a sign-up out there as well. And I also send out um, uh, prayer requests every now and then through WhatsApp. It's not... Um, it's not like a group message. Like if you get on that, you won't be on a group. You'll get it individually. And if you reply to me, it'll come only to me, not as a group. So if you would like to get more frequent prayer updates or something like that, um, please let me know and I'll add you to my WhatsApp. Beautiful. Thank you, Emily. So if you're watching online or if you're here, probably the best way to uh, support her is just to go ahead and scan that. We've also got cards in the lobby that you can fill out, and uh, they're in the lobby, right? Yeah, and I'm sure Emily will be out there afterwards. And so, man, just good stuff. I don't know. I don't know about. For, I mean, we hear about you know, you know, third world countries, hostile to the gospel, learning a new language, but installing your own kitchen sink—that's like. <laughs> I don't know. That was like the, that was the biggest part to me. I don't know what the thing is there. So. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes saying yes to the Lord means trying to install a faucet. Well, that on is well, well done. Well done on that. Well, hey, let's just stand up and let's just pray for Emily as we, uh, as we close service today. So Mary and uh, if any of our staff wants to come up and uh, let's just bless Emily. How long are you here for? Um, I'm here. At least till Thursday, I know. Yeah, I, I'm uh, in the States off and on until the beginning of August, but I, um, yeah, so I'm not here in Columbus maybe a couple more weeks, okay. mostly at the end of July. All right, well, good. Well, let's, uh, I encourage you guys to support. Uh, Emily, my wife and I do. I know the church does, and we would uh, love for you guys to just support this important work. So, Lord, we just thank you for Emily, Lord, that your hand is on her, and that everything that she does, that it's going to prosper, that's going to have your touch on it. We thank you for influence with neighbors. Lord, we thank you for your hand of protection on her, all the resources that she needs. And then we just pray that the gospel would be preached and that it would change hearts and that signs and wonders would follow and that uh, things beyond what we could ask or imagine would happen in that city. So we just bless her that you've, uh, you've chosen her for this time, you've shaped her for this time, and uh, we just bless what she's doing in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, bless you guys. Um, our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. If you'd like some extra prayer, happy Father's Day. If you're new here, my wife and I would love to meet you by the on-new